Hi, my name is Ken Heidebrook. My heart's desire here at Hanging On His Words is to spread the entirety of the gospel message to whoever will hear it and to serve my Creator by helping people learn how to be obediently in covenant with Him. Hanging On His Words is a ministry that not only teaches others how to run this faith race, but does so through compelling video and musical content. If you are someone that has personally been blessed by my music or video teachings or both, please consider contributing to my efforts. My goals are to step up my music and video production value, and more importantly, to create content on a more frequent and full-time basis. This is where you, you, yes, you, my patrons can make this possible. Whether your support is financial or through prayers and encouragement, I just wanted to say thank you very much. Shalom, friends and family. Welcome to Hanging on His Words. My name is Ken Heidebrecht, and you are watching Honor of Kings, Season 3. This happens to be Episode 3, and joining me is my band, fellow truther and scripture lover, Sean Griffin. Hey, brother, how you doing? Hey, what's up, Ken? It's good to see you again this week. I'm doing good. <laughs> right on, man. Good, good, good. So uh, we've been going through the book of Second Baruch. Uh, this this episode will also cover several chapters in Second Baruch. And um, what have we covered so far, Sean? In season three, we touched base on the book of Adam and Eve. Gave that a big right. Yeah, and we, we uh, went through Adam and Eve first. The first book of Adam and Eve, which a lot of we try to explain during those shows, it's actually four books. Is but the first two are the really the only ones that people really know about and reference. And so we did a, a quick review over the first and the second one and determined that it does not pass the muster of theology or prophecy. Yes, yes. It was, uh, we didn't even need to go past chapter 10 in the first book. It was just, in my opinion, I think in your opinion as well, it was obvious. So we wanted to get onto some meteor stuff that we think does pass the test. And uh, so we're covering second Baruch. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with the premise of this show, basically what we do, Sean and I, and sometimes we'll have a guest on too. And I think that's the idea, Sean, is to get someone else on here to make it made a trialogue or, or whatever for, for one of these episodes moving forward. Yeah. But what we do here is we look at some of the books that have been removed over periods of time that have been in different canons. We read them. We test them to the scriptures of the, the 66 books of the Protestant canon that we are used to and have grown up with. And we determine whether or not these books should have been removed or it was a good idea for them to be removed. And uh, as you guys know, this is season three. We've already done two prior seasons. And we've covered the book of Enoch, Jubilees, Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs, uh, Second Ezra. We've covered several books. And it's uh, it's been fun. I think it's been pretty educational for people. We've had some pretty good reviews from people that have wondered for a good portion of their lives growing up in church and studying the word of God that why is there some stuff that doesn't make sense or why does there seem to be gaps in the narrative and uh you know they've appreciated this type of show and I'm just honored to have done it with Sean so far and to present it to you brothers and sisters yeah Ken didn't you tell me about a year ago that you ran into someone in a different province that had found our show and that he actually recognized you and knew who you were yes yes <laughs> it's, it's a weird world <laughs> yeah 
yeah yeah it's awesome but yeah um before we get started i just want to ask the uh the viewers here who are in the chat if the audio and the video seems to be you know doing its proper thing because i know the last two episodes there were some lag issues and i think it it sounds good on my end and i knew right away in the last episode that there were some issues and and so i just want to know if you guys can put it in the comments real quick or in the chat uh if everything sounds good on your end um and i'll, I'll just take a look to see if it's a thumbs up or not but i think it's good it's good on your end sean i think it is yeah people are awesome. saying it's good awesome brother. So. all right so do you want to just get started get right into it yeah yeah we'll jump right into it so for those of you who uh are just joining us now we are doing like i said the book of second baruch and um it's an awesome book so far it's revealed some things that um you don't get to see in the canon of 66 there's some some interesting theology that's in there that definitely sheds light on material that um otherwise doesn't elaborate on things like paradise and what paradise means and and you know how yahweh talks about in the book of isaiah this is are you not the one that's inscribed on my hand this is not the one that's referring to the new jerusalem and the, the one on the ground that baruch was experiencing getting um you know seized upon by the Chaldeans, the Babylonians coming to them. So some interesting, interesting stuff. And we're just going to be covering chapters 15 through 20 in this episode. And then by the end of the show, I think we'll we'll uh, allow you guys to ask some questions and uh, we'll try to keep it around an hour. That's what we try to do with this, this up, these shows. I know it's hard to do, trying to jam pack a lot of stuff into it in under an hour, but mm -hmm. most people appreciate that, that kind of timeline. So we're going to try to adhere to that if at all possible. Yeah. So. And then, of course, once you're ready to ask questions after we review the chapters, make sure you put them in all capitalization when you're typing out your question. That way we can we and the moderators can easily see it and you have a better chance of your question getting answered. So don't forget that. Yeah. So, Sean, you want to start us off with chapter 15, brother? Sure. Here in chapter 15, it says the Lord answered and said unto me, you are rightly astonished regarding the departure of man, but you've not judged well regarding the evils which befall those who sin. And as regards what you have said, that the righteous are carried off and the impious are prospered. And as regards what you have said, man knows not your judgment. On this account, hear, and I will speak to you, and hearken, and I will cause you to hear my words. Man would not rightly have understood my judgment unless he had accepted the law, and I instructed him in understanding. But now, because he transgressed wittingly, yes, just on this ground that he knows about it, he should be tormented. And as regards what you did say touching the righteous, that on account of them has this world come, so also again shall that which is to come, come on their account. For this world is to them a strife and a labor with much trouble, and that accordingly which is to come will be a crown with great glory. Sean, do you want to do chapter 16 real quick too? I think there's like what one or two verses there. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get that over with. Yeah, he says in 16.1, And I answered and said, O Lord, my Lord, lo, the year of this time are few and evil. And who is able in his little time to acquire that which is measureless? Hmm. Interesting, interesting dialogue going on between the father and Baruch. Sean, yeah. who is Baruch? Just to give people a, a bit of a, a backstory on him. Uh, Baruch was, he was the gentleman that um, approximately the days of um, Jeremiah, he was the scribe. He's actually mentioned in the canon of 66 in Jeremiah 35. He's actually mentioned in a couple chapters in Jeremiah, but... That's where it specifically calls him Jeremiah's scribe, which that inherently would that the term of the scribe was usually that position or role was usually given to the priest. 
So this is a guy who's not just simply, you know, like Jeremiah's assistant, but you know, the prophets and the priesthood, they worked hand in hand back then because they were the guys teaching the people the law. They were teaching them what how to behave properly, <laughs> you know, how to know right. the Father, how to know Yahweh. So we got not just from this book, but from you know, from Jeremiah itself, we have the idea that he's a priest, he's a scribe, but we also see that he's a prophet as well. That's right. And he, he didn't get qualified for the position just because his handwriting was good, right? He had other That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So okay, what stood out to you in chapter fifteen? Uh, I think in chapter fifteen, let me go here real quick. Basically, this part right here it says, Man would not rightly have understood my judgment unless he'd accepted the law and I'd instructed him in understanding. Mm -hmm. The reason why it stands out to me is because we see this all throughout scripture. Is you see, like, I mean, just 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 pick one. Um, okay, so let's let me let me just pose real quick the idea that someone who did rightly understand his judgment because they did understand the law and that's going to be Adam and Eve. They knew the instruction they transgressed and they knew they did it as it says in the next passage that they did it wittingly. So they knew they did it intentionally. It was intentional transgression. It wasn't an, an, a sin of omission, right? It wasn't accidental. And therefore they accepted the punishment expelled from the garden. Did that? You know what I'm saying? They, they didn't fight back basically, but you see to to the adverse of that, and also to the justification of this statement, you see all throughout Scripture, mankind that is is knows what they should be doing. They intentionally don't do it, and then they they because they haven't accepted His laws. Not that they didn't understand it or didn't hear it, but they physically didn't accept it in their heart, their mind, their way of being. In fact, we see this whole parallel brought out to us. And uh, let me pull this up real quick. We see this whole parallel brought out to us in Romans chapter one, and Paul does a wonderful job explaining all this stuff. Yeah. And so I'm just going to go to Romans one real quick. Um, I'll pull this up on screen for everyone to follow along. And there's a couple of parts for me I want to I want to touch on. So here, um, let me make it big enough for people to see. So here in Romans one, Paul expresses the same idea. He says, "For the wrath of God." is revealed from heaven against all ungodlessness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And in fact, if we go on real quick to verse 28 through 32, it goes on to expound upon this idea that we're reading in First group 15. It says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, <laughs> yep. that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do those things, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Yes, these aren't 
ignorant people is what right. Paul's trying to get at. These people, right. it's not like Yahweh created mankind and, and gave them a push out the door and said, go and do whatever it is that you think you got to do. And I'm not going to give you anything uh, to do. I won't give you an instruction manual <laughs> for how to live. No, that's that's not the case. And um, I think that's what uh, Yahweh is telling Baruch here, essentially, is, is yeah. it, you know, in order for someone to understand his judgment, that inherently implies that the law that he has supplied mankind is given to them so that they know what to do, what not to do. And when the judgment takes place, how they're going to be judged according to what was given them to do. Exactly. Actually, uh, Ken, if you have a quick moment, I'll read one more passage. Please do. Yeah. So we actually have here um, in Romans chapter two in the, I mean, you know, you know, the chapter breaks are just inserted by the scribes, right? So this is really just the rest of that thought that Paul was trying to expound yeah. upon. 212, you, is that what you're pulling up? Well, it's actually five through okay. 16. So it's yep. going to include 12. So uh, I think you had this in your notes, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. So basically says, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and in revelation of the righteous judgment of God. I'm sorry. One second, guys. I like to have it easily seen by people. Um, who will render, this is God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, they're going to get eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation, they're going to receive wrath and indignation. There will be a tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also the Greek. But there's no partiality with God. For all who've sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who've sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these who do not have the law are a law unto themselves, in that they show the work of the law is written in their hearts, and their conscience is bearing witness, and their thoughts are alternatively accusing or else defending them on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Yes, amen. And Paul's gospel is the same gospel that Yeshua <laughs> preached, guys. Just want to throw that in there. 100%, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he got it, man. He summarizes yeah. that very, very well. And, yeah. Uh, and there's some other there's some other things in here that's we're going to go through these following chapters. It seems like Paul was very familiar with Baruch's writings because he uses like the same terminology and stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's kind of a uh, a common thread that we're starting to see. Eh, Sean is is the writers of the New Testament seem to be getting their information from other books that we, at least growing up, weren't privy to. And now that we're we're discovering that there was more books and we're testing them, it's it's you can see the parallels that are being made here, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like because this particular book, this Apocalypse of Brooks, it, it was in the KJV back in the day, on, over a hundred years ago, but it was removed from our modern Bibles. So. Yeah, yeah. What else was there? Something else in chapter fifteen that stood out? Basically, six through eight. I don't know what you thought about it, but six through eight completely stood out to me. Is yeah, yeah. The um, I think we should probably touch on the the part where it says he shall be tormented. The first, but now because he transgressed wittingly, yes, just on this ground that he knows about it, he shall be tormented. And and Sean has covered this on his channel over on Kingdom in Context, brothers and sisters. Please go subscribe to him and show him some love. And he's got some amazing videos there. 
And uh, you, if I'm not mistaken, Sean, you have covered this uh, in video format, talking about this idea of torment and what that means in terms yeah. of when someone dies, where we go, we and we both agree that when someone dies, their soul descends into Sheol. And that's right. You know, this this concept of torment isn't necessarily what we would envision um as soon as it pops into your head right when i've and, and i'm i'm guilty of this when i think of the word i'm like oh man that's like flames that's that's burning that's that's a, a concept that was seared into my mind as a child through indoctrination in mainstream church theology unfortunately so when we yeah. actually look at the word even in the english dictionary it doesn't only have to mean physical pain of the body or physical pain in and of itself it can mean anguish as well like emotional suffering and, and being unhappy and, and scared and, and fearful of something that's to come. So right. I think that that's probably what the torment, uh, the context in that first verse there uh, is referring to. Am I, am I on the right track, do you think, there? Yeah, and it, it expounds on this. And later in the book of Baruch itself, as we, we get down into the chapters like the 40s and 50s, it's going to expound and give us a, a better contextual understanding of how, what he's using, how he's using this word torment. It doesn't translate into English the way that it's originally intended in the Greek. But um, when you look at the Greek in the New Testament, when you use the word torment, it actually, it, it, it can speak of physical pain, but it also can speak of emotional pain. So it just depends on the context of how you would translate that word and use it. And so actually the video I think you're referencing, Ken, is this one right here. It's uh, This video was on my Kingdom Cast playlist, and it's called Why Did God Create Hell? And not only do I touch on the idea of torment within the, the presentation, but also in the Q and A afterwards, we had someone ask a question specifically of the torment and how does what is this how does this work and like is it, is this the Catholic idea of people burning alive forever? And no, it's not. It's that Yeshua explains it to us. I go over it with all lots of scriptures and in great depth. So we've been sold alive by Catholicism about this eternal burning forever alive, guys. You don't live forever when you face the second death that's the point of the second death is that you're dead forever so right. <laughs> yeah it's it's very very simple but catholicism has made it very very complicated and very very uh scary mm -hmm. right they've they've made it into this thing that is just fodder for atheists to throw at at believers because it is a improper out of context un you know, like against the definitions of the words being used, it's it's a bad theology that's been propagated by Catholicism. Yeah, it, it's a it's a bad thing for those who have to experience it, but it's it's good for those who have struggled with that concept growing up of this this Catholic idea of eternal eternal torment and hellfire. So it's, it, it yeah. clears things up and it makes it better. And before we move on, I just wanted to say that I'm going to be releasing a video, hopefully by next weekend, that touches on Second Ezra's chapter seven the 70 verses that have been removed from certain manuscripts in certain canons. And I'm going to be uh, discussing this, you know, expounding further on what we're talking about here with this idea of torment, what happens to the unrighteous when they go to the unrighteous side of Sheol. And it's an interesting book, interesting several verses that have been removed from certain manuscripts. So keep an eye out, brothers and sisters, for that video. I hope to release it by next weekend. Awesome. And we, we have people asking questions just as always, guys, we want to answer your questions. But what we're doing is getting through the chapters first. So remember to put your questions in all caps and then hold them until we do the Q&A here at the end. Yeah. Yeah. That would help us out for sure. Yeah. So uh, another thing in this, the, the end of 15 here is it's just talking about, you know, we went over the torment idea. Um, but what's fascinating to me is that he's God is explaining to Baruch in this moment. He says as, regarding things that are involving the righteous. And that's what that terminology means, touching the righteous. That on account of them, that's speaking about the righteous. 
on account of them, this world has come. Because right, he made this world for Adam and his descendants to live in. And he expected us to abide by the instructions of how to live in this world, which yeah. is righteousness, which is defined as righteousness. This is what everything will go well with this in this world that we were created in, if we abide by the behavior that we're intended to do. And then he lays out that behavior in great depth in Genesis through Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, when he lays out this behavior that he calls righteous in Deuteronomy 6.25, in that same book, he goes on to expound and say, if you do this behavior while living on this earth, all these good things are going to fall and happen to you. But if you go against this behavior and you start doing unrighteous behavior, then all these bad things are going to happen to you. And even the land itself is going to be affected and hurt. Mm -hmm. This is why, you know, the land even itself goes to a healing process when we turn from our wicked ways and come back to righteous behavior. And so this is him explaining that this world was made on account for the righteous and the world to come will also be made for the righteous. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Amen. It's interesting how um, Yahweh is juxtaposing to Baruch this idea of the world and the current age in which he lives, which was the same age that we are living in, brothers and sisters. This is all on this side of this coming uh, <laughs> crown with great glory. And um, it, it's just interesting how he is juxtaposing this idea of, of the world when we're not, as Sean said, keeping the commandments and doing the things of the law the Father has given to mankind, even up to the point of, of giving land Sabbath rests, stuff that you would think, what on earth? Like, why, why does that matter? Well, it matters because the Father knows when he created the heavens and the earth at the beginning what this earth needs in order to keep itself sustaining and maintaining and in order for us to live on this earth in a way where we can actually reap the rewards that it, it was always meant to be giving to us so unfortunately we've corrupted the earth and the good news is that the father's sending a new world aka the new jerusalem the kingdom of god to come which is what he's calling here the crown with great glory for those right. who are going to be experiencing the first resurrection this amazing hope of glory where we're perfected and the law is written on our newly circumcised hearts and we can experience this this new world to come in a way that has always meant to be lived in. What I love about this this statement is just, I guess, the actually way it's written, Ken, is because he's he's comparing the strife, labor, and trouble of this world. He says, and accordingly, the world that's to come. So like basically he's saying, like, if you think that this trouble you have right now is bad, to the same degree that you think it's bad now, that degree will be how great it's going to be in this world to come, you yeah. know, and that's where he calls it a crown with glory. So to me, this type of terminology would let me know that I it's, it's my job. It's my duty as, as a disciple reading this to understand this terminology is about the kingdom of God so that I can understand the component pieces of like all the descriptions of the kingdom of God, because we're getting both the land and these crowns with great glory in the same description of this world to come. So I have a, a quick scripture I'd like to go over because it's, um, it's, it's related to these ideas, but um, I'll put it up on screen real quick. And it's Psalm 3711. It says, but the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. And for all of you who may or may not know, the word humble as used in the Old Testament is someone that does the behavior of God. That's someone that's not prideful. It's someone that's following the commandments. And so we also have this land that's being that is promised as our inheritance is actually um, expounded to us in Isaiah 54. And it is, it's actually verse, it's a talking about Zion and it's the New Jerusalem as Kim was explaining to you, but it's also called our heritage 
which is our inheritance here in this famous passage that people take out of context and apply mm -hmm. to themselves. Yeah. This is actually speaking about your inheritance of the new Jerusalem in the future, that no weapon that's formed against you and the you in this, in this context is talking about the land of inheritance, Zion, the new Jerusalem, that no weapon to formed against the new Jerusalem will prosper. Every tongue that accuses the new Jerusalem in judgment, the new Jerusalem itself will condemn. And we see this fulfilled in revelation chapter 20, verse seven through 10, when Satan tries to attack the new Jerusalem, the beloved city, as it's called. Yeah. And then it says, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is the inheritance, is this city, this place of Zion. And uh, real quick, I, I want to run over to the uh, the ideology for those who, who may be not familiar. But in the book of James, we also have the idea of a crown. And this is what's promised to us through our, through our perseverance, right? So blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So the good news, Ken, is not only do you get to go to this amazing land of inheritance, the world to come, but you get crowned with great glory, which is the crown of eternal life. Amen, brother. Yeah. Amen. It's an amazing, amazing message. And um, yeah, the uh, what's commonly referred to as the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, that's just Yeshua telling you and whoever his audience was during that time who he was speaking to and anyone who falls into this category is basically... If you're someone who thirsts for righteousness, yours is the kingdom of God. Like he's, he's telling you, if you're someone who has, has the law on your heart and you're trying your best to do it, you will inherit my kingdom that is coming. And that's that's what the Beatitudes is all about. I know a lot of people like to, to preach something a little bit different, but this is the context of what the Beatitudes are all about. And this is this is the world to come that, that Yahweh is telling Baruch right now um, who's going to inherit it. That's right. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. So basically, so what we're the reason we're belaboring this part of chapter 15 is because we're seeing theology that is not only uh, step stepped in, you know, in step, I should say, with what Yeshua taught but also with what the psalmist taught, with what we see the apocalypse of Revelation expounds in Revelation chapter 2 with Yeshua explaining we get crowns of life if we are faithful to the end. Also, the apostle James, um, he's he's teaching the same ideas. So, so far, we see that Baruch is just lockstep with these other guys in Scripture. Was yeah, there anything in 16 yeah. that you wanted to talk about? Um, oh. Did you want to go back to it real quick? I think it was just the yeah, one, one sentence, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, one second. I, I'm not sure if it was. There we go. So he, he's basically saying, you know, Baruch's responding by saying, the years of this time are few and evil, and who is able in his little time to acquire that which is measureless? In other words, we only have a certain amount of years on the earth to try to acquire this eternal crown of glory that you're speaking of how, how do we do that right and so yahweh's gonna respond in the next chapter i can read that yeah okay brother i'll put it up here for you thank you and the lord answered and said unto me with the most high account is not taken of time nor of a few years for what did it profit adam that he lived 930 years and transgressed that which he was commanded therefore the multitude of time that he lived did not profit him but brought death and cut off the years of those who were born from him. Wherein did Moses suffer loss and that he lived only 120 years and inasmuch he was subject to him who formed him, brought the law to the seed of Jacob and lighted a lamp for the nation of Israel. 
we'll go to the next chapter two here. And I answered and said, he that lighted has taken from the light and there are but few that have imitated him. But those many whom he has lighted have taken from the darkness of Adam and have not rejoiced in the light of the lamp. Yep. That's <laughs> interesting. Interesting way to word some of that stuff. It is. It is. It's like, he's basically saying Adam had almost a thousand years on this earth and mm -hmm. he transgressed. What are we saying, Sean? If we're, if the book of Jubilee's account is correct, and I believe it is, he was in the garden for seven years before sin entered, right? Before he, he and Eve, uh, you know, transgressed the law. And so there's speculation as to how old Adam was created. I believe he was, he was created roughly around the age of 30. Um, you know, what Yeshua was resurrected into and, and the, at the time he died at, I believe is roughly the time or the age that Adam was created out of the dust of the earth. So let's say he's 37, tops 40 years old here, right? And he lives for another 900 years, 900 plus years. It doesn't matter how long you live after that because he, he had already broken the law, right? And as we know, if you break one part of the law, you've broken the whole thing. You get the second death. That's that's how the Father created the heavens, the earth, Sheol, judgment, all of it. You break the law, there's a penalty for it. This is the good news that of Yeshua didn't ever break the law. Therefore, he became our high priest and he can resurrect us who want to attain to the same righteousness that he himself upholds to. And so we don't need a thousand years on this earth to try to attain that is what I'm getting at. Right. And as we see post flood people, you know, they got um, less of a lifespan. And today, what is it? What's the, what's the max around a hundred years? If you're, if you're doing really well, <laughs> I mean, most people aren't living that long and um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how long you are on this earth. It's the decisions you make with the time that you were given and the heart that you have towards the father and understanding what the son has done for you and what he will do for you and, and trying to be righteous according to the law of God and just being like what Yeshua exemplified. And so that's, that's the whole purpose of, you know, what I think this is being iterated here. Yeah. I hundred percent. Yeah, I think you said it better than I could. We actually have some comments um, while you were explaining that. We have some comments about this concept here. We were reading here in, in chapter 18 where it talked about Moses who gave the law to Jacob or to the, the descendants of Jacob. And so we have someone that had commented in the chat saying, well, isn't that dispensationalism? Because they're thinking, oh, wait, because they think that the passage is saying this is the first time the law was given to the descendants of Jacob. Right. But and that's the, unfortunately that's what's commonly understood in mainstream, mm -hmm. um, you know, church doctrine is that the first time that the law ever existed was on Mount Sinai, when when you just read Genesis up to the point of Exodus, where the, you know the law is starting to be you know reestablished on Mount Sinai, you, you see that there's no it, it can't be because I mean we've talked right. about this many times, right? Right, because the the law itself, and I'm and I'll explain this for the for those listening who may have who may have the same thought that this gentleman was commenting in the, in the chat. The law itself is the terms of the covenant. The participants of the covenant are called the children of Israel. The entire reason that Yahweh brought the children of Israel out of the land of Goshen through signs and miracles under Moses and Aaron was because they were already in covenants. And it was a covenant that was established with Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. 
and even further back, and this is what Jubilees explains to us, that it was further back through Shem, Noah, all the way back to Adam. It's the same blessing, the same covenant. And the, the whole reason, um, and the whole reason that this idea, because when I read this passage, I thought too, hmm, is that is that actually preaching dispensationalism? Because not only modern Christianity teaches that in the last hundred years, but also Judaism teaches this idea that the law only showed up at Mount Sinai. So when we when we see a statement like this from Baruch, who by the way, Judaism rejects Baruch. Yeah. <laughs> when we see a statement like this from Baruch, and he's saying he's talking about Moses took the uh, the light and gave it to the descendants of Jacob. Well, let's you know for one. Let's remember that the only reason the descendants of Jacob were being brought out of Egypt was because they were already in covenant through their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm -hmm. So they are being saved through this great act because they had been suppressed and oppressed by the Egyptians incrementally over time to the point where they were forgetting who they were and where they came from. They had become a wicked and adulterous generation in the larger majority. Yes, there were some faithful remnants within them. But this is why there's so much struggle that we see once they get to the wilderness and there's constantly rebellion against Yahweh and his ways. And they're wanting to worship the Baal. They're wanting to worship the golden calf. They're wanting to go back to Egypt countless times. They're wanting to usurp the authority of Moses and Aaron and try to take the authority for themselves, which is a just, just a, a middle finger in the face of Yahweh. Yeah. So like all this stuff that they're doing shows you that they had, there's a reason the father was trying to get this generation you know, in fulfilling the promise of the covenant that that the children of Israel were already in. That's why he was saving his people. You you don't get to be called his people unless you're already in covenant with him. Yeah. The yeah. covenant that you're in with him, there's only one, there's only one parameters, there's only one terms of the covenant, and that's the law. So their whole reason that the law is being given in this moment at Sinai to the full congregation is so they could relearn the law that they had forgotten over time. The ones that their forefathers, Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, had kept so faithfully. Yeah. So this is a this is a seems like a minute point, but there are a lot of people out there that really struggle, um, that uh, really really struggle with the dispensational idea, thinking that because it's taught so much in church. Can I guess is why I really feel like we should probably establish this. But ultimately, the law that being referenced as the light right here. That's I mean we see this in scripture. Um, can you mind if I pull up some scriptures real quick? Yeah, please do. Please do. Because that's the point of the show, guys. We, we want to make sure that everything lines up with what's scripture. And so yeah. there's a plethora of it. Yeah. So we got right here in Proverbs 6.23. It tells us the commandment is a lamp. The teaching is light. And reproof for, dis for discipline are the way of life. Mm. Now, even some translations will say the Torah is light. But if we go to, let's go to Psalm 119 real quick. And uh, I think it's verse 129 or 130. Psalm 119 being the longest chapter in <laughs> our uh, Protestant Bibles, guys. Yeah. Read it if you're not familiar with it, and it'll tell you how much the law is is loved by David. Yeah, here in verse 130, it says, The unfolding of your words gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. And this is the instructions for living that was given at Sinai by Moses to the descendants of Jacob who had forgotten it. This is why we talk about this idea that it was not a first time to make a covenant because they're already children of God. They're already supposed to be in this covenant. It's a renewing of the covenant for all those who want to participate, which is why they had to willingly go forward in Exodus 19 with them and their families to enter into covenant. And so this right. was a, a really big deal. Um, but for anyone that may be watching who's never studied out these issues or these ideas before, 
whenever you see the words the light something that you know yeshua talked about us being the light of life um walking in the light that kind of terminology that first john talks about us walking in the light as jesus is the light well that's that's talking about the commandments of god which is the behavior of the creator yeah amen amen well said and i mean it, moses was trying to get pharaoh to let the people go worship the father on the mountain right to do a feast a sacrifice and that whole the feast that they were doing was shavuot and it, they i mean you're not going to take people out to a mountain to go sacrifice and do a feast you're not familiar with what it is that they're supposed to be doing and going out to do right so That's that implies right. that they already had feast days which implies that there was a law and all these things so i mean it's just i mean yeah. it, it, like like sean if you haven't same, grown same up with understanding the stuff or looking at it at all then it's not going to make sense yeah, yeah exactly exactly yeah with passover it was it was even just as significant if not more because you had to actually be circumcised on the outside to participate in passover and they all did which means they already knew that they were in some sort of agreement with the creator but they just didn't understand the fullness of his instructions and they definitely didn't have the schematics the blueprints you know the engineering specs for the tabernacle and the priesthood yeah. Yeah. You know, so this is why they were getting not just the fullness of the instructions of the law for how to behave, but also they had this priesthood thing being established with them to help them practice serving God like it like it is carrying being carrying on in heaven with the angels. They got to practice this on the ground now. And that was a, that was something that was kind of unique because they were they were establishing this through Levi with it with a mobile temple that was an actual replica. Um, and so this was as in. The temples that they would have had in the past would not have been that shape or design or whatever so right even though jacob in the book of jubilees saw the blueprint and wanted to that's make right. it right that's right well i was like no 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 not yet we'll get to that point it's just going to be yeah. past your generation so <laughs> yeah yeah it's awesome stuff man awesome good question yeah man do you want to read the next chapter ken or do you want me to uh i can read i guess okay cool you're 19. chapter 19 and he answered and said unto me Wherefore, at that time, he appointed for them a covenant and said, Behold, I have placed before you life and death. And he called heaven and earth to witness against them, for he knew that his time was but short, but that heaven and earth endure always. But after his death, they sinned and transgressed, though they knew not that they had the law reproving them, and the light in which nothing could err, also the spheres which testify, and me. Now regarding everything that is, it is I that judge, but do not you take counsel in your soul regarding these things, nor afflict yourself because of these things which have been which have been. All right. I think there's three or four more verses. More? Here. Okay, yeah. For now it is the consummation of time that should be considered, whether of business or of prosperity, or of shame and not the beginning thereof. Because if a man be prospered in his beginnings and shamefully entreated in his old age, he forgets all the prosperity that he had. And again, if a man is shamefully entreated in his beginnings and at his end is prospered, he remembers not again his evil entreatment. And again, hearken, though each one were prospered all that time, all the time from the day on which death was decreed against those who transgress and in his end was destroyed, in vain would have been everything. Very true. Yeah. It really That's is vain. If you're not looking forward to what the promises of the hope of glory is if you're a saint in in messiah and you're you know looking forward to that resurrection moment where you can actually live forever as opposed to having to worry about dying and never living again and maybe being blessed through a period of your life 
Nope, Sean, you there, buddy? That's right. Yeah, I'm are still we, here. Are we having a yep. lag again? Sorry, I'm still here. It's there. Uh, I think there might what? be a bit of a glitch. Yeah, I think I may have missed your last few last few words. That's okay. Let's let's just talk about the chapters that we just read. Sure, sure. So, what you were the first part in verses one through two that you that you read, uh, this really stuck out to me because I mean he's directly quoting from the Old Testament at this point. Yeah, Deuteronomy so thirty verse nineteen, right? Yes, yes, yeah. and it's actually in like uh, switched around because normally it's I place for your life and death, you know, I call heaven and earth what's against you, but um, it's switched around in Deuteronomy thirty, but it's the same exact statement. And, uh, and he's talking about Moses knew his time was short, but heaven and earth would always endure. So that's why he's calling heaven and earth to witness against them. Um, and then, of course, he says, after his death, they sinned and transgressed because they knew that they had not, they had the law reproving them. And then the light in which nothing could err. Also, the spheres which testify of me. What do you think? Of, what do you think the spheres idea is meaning? You know, I'm not sure what the actual word is in the language that this was yeah. translated into, but. Yeah. Because the heavens and the earth witness against them, as you, we just talked about in Deuteronomy 30, I think it's talking about the ferments. I think yes. the, the, the spheres is just someone's, you know, insertion of what they understand the, uh, you know, the biblical cosmology to be. But I think yeah. as we've iterated in several videos, uh, we live in a in a enclosed, encapsulated a building that has floors firm structures and i think this is what these spheres is referring to there it probably would be better to be like arches or just the firmaments which testify yeah. yeah absolutely um yeah what what i think is interesting is that um here in this time of baruch he's talking about he says i placed before you life and death and they called heaven and earth witness against you and this is interesting because we actually see the, the, what's happening in the storyline of Baruch is the actual moment where if anyone has not seen us recover uh, the first two chapters or the first 10 chapters of Baruch, you see that he's actually having this, this dream or vision. He's in Jerusalem. Um, it, later on, he's going to be talking to some of the other prophets. Jeremiah is going to be there or Jeremiah was there, I think in chapter four. And so he basically the whole city of Jerusalem is being besieged by Babylon right now by Nebuchadnezzar. And the Chaldean army. And this was prophesied. In fact, Jeremiah even prophesied this whole thing. And so what's I think what's interesting is that he's saying the law is reproving them. They knew and and I'm taking the whole context from 15 up to now, Ken. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he's talking about how they transgressed wittingly. And then he's been explaining the law, he's been explaining theology with the law. And now he's talking about it again, how he had placed with this covenant, Yahweh had placed before everybody life and death. And he's like, look, man, just choose life. Just do what's right. But we have the, the outer context of this whole passage is in Jeremiah 21. And it's actually the moment where King Zedekiah goes to Jeremiah and he's, he need, because, you know, Babylon is, is sieging them. And he's asking for Jeremiah to pray to God and saying, please ask if God would relent and take, you know, save us. And God responds to him and he's like, no, no, no. All of you guys are going to get what you deserve mm -hmm. because you knew what you were doing. And, I, and he actually says this. Actually, let me pull this up because he says this same terminology. I placed before you life and death. Uh, yeah. Let me pull it up real quick and for the viewer to, to follow along. But um, it's in Jeremiah 21, I believe. Yeah, there's a, uh, a phrase. I think it's in 2nd Ezra. It might even be in 2nd Baruch where it talks about how the law exacts its rights. And so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's eschatological implications regarding that statement. But there's also 
immediate consequences when when you're not taking the law seriously you're going to have immediate consequences and this is what the father you know essentially says is going to happen to the people if they're not going back to doing the ways of the covenant so yeah and this is the this is the conversation between zedekiah and jeremiah in this chapter uh talking about how nebuchadnezzar the king of babylon is is coming at the city of jerusalem and then yahweh responds and he says you shall say to this people thus says the lord behold i set before you the way of life and the way of death he who dwells in the city will die by the sword and by the famine by pestilence but he who goes out and falls away to the chaldeans meaning let yourself be captured because this is what's been prophesied you guys have been rebelling for way too long see this is what chapter three of jeremiah was talking about how judah the southern house had returned with treachery they did not return with full faithfulness and wholeheartedly because they had you know hezekiah and then manasseh then you know josiah now zedekiah mm -hmm. so that good king bad king good king bad king they were not being faithful and so um he says for i've set my face against this city for harm and not for good declares the lord i will it will be given into the hand of the king of babylon and he will burn it with fire so yeah. it's just it's that unique concept of him you know it kind of it harkens me back to the you know the statement of the law reproving them and like you said it's exacting its rights and then also in chapter 15 where he opens up and says do you let me let me go there for the for the viewer real quick he opens up saying um yeah the wages the wages of um the evils here i put on screen it says the evils which befall those who sin he says, but you have not judged well regarding the evils which befall those who sin. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, this whole dialogue, Ken, is Baruch basically, I'm not saying he's whining or complaining, but he's just, he's kind of seems genuinely confused as to be like, are you really going to let this temple be destroyed? He actually goes through some of this dialogue in furthering chapters. He's like, are you really going to let this go through and happen? You're not going to save us because who's going to teach your law, your light to the Gentiles? Who's going to spread your truth yeah. if yeah. you truly let us get taken over? Is the world going to go back to primeval silence? Yeah. 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 And so this is the father just lovingly trying to explain to him, look, man, you, you've done well in understanding what's going, you know, that, that man must departure and go to Babylon and everything, but you, you seem to be misunderstanding me and how my judgments are applied to mankind who sin, because it's like he, he father said he was going to do it. He can't not do it. You know what I'm saying? Like he promised them and he, he actually gave them hundreds of years of yeah. mercy, you know? So it's really sad that it, it's kind of like yeah. emotionally and mentally Brooke is trying to catch up to what the father had been saying this whole time. Yeah. Like all of us, right, Sean? <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, it just, to add even just more, more to what you're saying here, the first chapter of second Baruch, Yahweh is essentially telling Baruch, listen, like your Northern house of Israel, brethren, are dispersed and have gone into captivity by the Assyrians. And that was because the kings were making the people, you know, do idolatrous things. And you know, they were causing them to transgress. Whereas Judah, your people here in Jerusalem, are making the kings do these things. So you had the majority against the minority. You know, it was just bad. And he was, like you said, he was merciful and he let it allowed to go on and on and on to the point where he's like, I have to interject. This, this has to turn around. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, there's one last chapter here, chapter 20. You want me to take it? Yeah, sure, man. Go ahead. Okay. So here in chapter 20, it says, Therefore, behold, the days come, and the time shall hasten more than the former, and the seasons shall speed on more than those that are past, and the years shall pass more quickly than the present years. Therefore, I have now taken away Zion, that I may the more speedily visit the world in its season. 
Now, therefore, hold fast in your heart everything that I command you and seal it in the recesses of your mind. And then I will show you the judgment of my might and my ways, which are unsearchable. Go, therefore, and sanctify yourself seven days and eat no bread, nor drink water, nor speak to anyone. And afterwards, come to the place that I will reveal myself to you and speak true things with you. And I'll give you commandment regarding the method of the times, for they are coming and tarry not. <laughs> yes, and we're going to leave you at a cliffhanger with this chapter. So you'll definitely have to join us for next week's episode, guys, because it's going to be interesting and the, the conversation as it ensues here. But this chapter is fascinating in and of itself, Sean. Yes, it is, man. It's there's there's some fun stuff in here. Um, so let's dissect the first, if you don't mind, the first few verses here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where it says, therefore, behold, the days come and the times shall hasten more than the former and the season shall speed on more than those that are past and the years shall pass more quickly than the present years. So what I'm gathering here is as we move forward in the timeline, the days and the times and the seasons are quickening more so than the former times that have just passed. So and we're going to get an expounding on what, how and why that is happening where, where we have the highlight here. Yes. So what do you think, Sean? What, what's this highlighted passage here implicating? That he's going to more speedily visit the world in its season because he's taking Zion away? It's yeah. Just, it's, it's almost as if because if I'm taking away the bastion that was that Baruch calls later, this idea that the thing that's going to help people understand true judgment, how to walk in the ways of righteousness, how to do these things, if that thing's going to be taken away, this, this place that he can more speedily visit the world in its season, um, I personally don't know if he's referring to visiting the world with Yeshua so that mm -hmm. Yeshua can then take up the mantle and the priesthood and do that as, as we see him fulfill in, in uh, Matthew through Hebrews. But at the same time, it could be the judgment, the overall judgment that he's talking about where he, Yahweh himself, literally visits the world through, obviously we know his son comes back on the day of the Lord before him. And so this, this whole process, whether first or second coming of his son, the second coming of his son would include the father's coming as well. So that whole process is is what is basically, you know, that after Yeshua, it's called the time of the Gentiles. But it's almost as if if Yeshua or Jerusalem was on the ground and everything was functioning like it was, it was how do I say this? Um, it would never lead to the events that need to happen. Yes. For Yeshua to reach his priesthood and for yes. the day of the Lord to happen. So so the actual millennial reign can happen and the father can descend to the earth. Yes, that's that's kind of what I was thinking yeah. about when I was reading this. I mean, it's it is referring to contextually, you know, Zion is in yeah. the, the daughter below on the ground here. But have you guys ever wondered why the new why the garden in paradise had to be removed from the earth and why it couldn't have just stayed here and, you know, gone on throughout the time and then and then you know we, we have a new age or whatever come after that why did it have to get removed do you have any thoughts on that sean the garden itself yeah like why did zion why did the garden have to be retracted around the time of the flood what, what was the significance of removing it as opposed to just leaving it on the allowing things to transpire through throughout time well personally <laughs> Um, I mean, I have theories and speculations as far as how that, you know, theologically would happen as far as it, it specifically needs to be removed because of the, the resurrection just to be promised because it's, 
It's being prepared. It, it was pulled up as second Ezra talks about and withdrawn from the earth. And then of course, Isaiah chapter 49, also chapter 62 and, and, and chapter 54 expound how it has to be enlarged to accommodate everyone in the first resurrection event. And that only takes place at the second coming of Yeshua at a specific time qualifier at the last trumpet. And there's all this godlessness and unrighteousness that leads up to that point where the world, you know, uh, basically puts, you know, the, the unrighteousness of the world reaches its full measure, its full limit, if you will, to receive the judgment that it receives when the garden comes back down and all the circumstances of it happen, cause all the judgment when it comes back down, including Yeshua and the angels. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to give a very, I mean, it's a huge question you asked, brother. I'm trying to make yeah, it as short as possible, but it's, it's okay. But as far as like, you know, why not just leave it on the ground and let just people walk up to it like they could have before the flood? And just see angels guarding it and saying, look, this, you know, you can inherit this if you do the commandments of the father. How much easier that would have been. I think it's I think it's actually a moment of grace. I mean, this is just some speculative commentary, mm -hmm. but it's it's like a moment of the father saying, look, if I leave this on the ground, it's they're going to, you know, there's there there is um, there's my judgment will be more strict because. You know, to whom much is given, much is required, much is expected. If they're given literally the kingdom of heaven within their sight and to see it, then there's a higher propensity that they're going to, you know, um, obey out of coveting that land as opposed to obeying in this idea of faith of doing what's right because it's right instead mm -hmm. of doing what's right because you see that, you know, you see the carrot dangled in front of you, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So yeah. The father's trying to like sift through the heart of people that are left and be like, all right, well, let's see if he, they're going to do what's right because it's right. Even though they can't see the kingdom of heaven that's promised to them, mm -hmm. uh, which is, could be, could be why we have these statements from Paul saying, no, eye has seen, no ear has heard, no, what's promised to those who love him. Um, but just a, just a random thought. What's your thought? Yeah. Yeah. That's plausible, plausible speculation, brother, you know, and this is, uh, this is admitted speculation on my end as well. Um, I just wonder if the actual removal of the land of the garden that was bordered in what we would call the new Jerusalem to come, um, you know, that the, the city that has to be enlarged, as Sean said, I wonder if it had to be removed so that the times, as we talked about earlier in the, in the couple verses earlier in that chapter would hasten on because it's removed. If it stays on the earth, then we have this belaboring time, like we see the you know the patriarchs of old before the deluge, living on and on and on quite quite a long while. I'm just wondering if the father's like, okay, if I remove this, it's going to hasten the time. They're going to live less, and we're going to actually get to you know the good stuff where I can allow them to be resurrected <laughs> and be with me in my house because I want to be with them, right? Yeah, that's playful speculation. I don't know if if the actual geography and the attaching of that garden had to, anything to do with longevity at all in terms of you know people living and, uh, and all that pre pre-flood before it was removed speculation it, uh, who knows but it's fun nonetheless to, to talk about these things and uh either way we know that it is coming back and it was here and um we're to pray that the times would be hastened right and i don't Sorry. know if it's ch chapters coming up i think i recall yeah, it's coming we, out we want the times to hurry up, right? Pray that the days would, right. would be shortened. And it, it reminds me of Matthew 24, 22 and, and Mark yeah. 13, where it's like if the days were not cut short, then no one would be saved. And it's like all through Matthew, Matthew 6, Yeshua prayed your kingdom come, your will be done. He's, this is how you should pray. Yeah. You know, 
So exactly. it's, and that's what we've been talking about here. Actually, let me put up a couple of scriptures on screen that that actually, you know, what you the question you asked me is hilarious because it's exactly these these parallels that I found with this idea from from Baruch, where he's like, who who could know the judgments of Yahweh and his ways are unsearchable? Mm. Well, we see this in the Psalms as well. And he says, your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep, O Lord. You preserve man and beast. So, you know, metaphorically, for judgments to be like the great deep, that's something that we cannot search out. You know, right. that's something that just doesn't work. But also we have Paul using very similar language here in the book of Romans again. And I'll go to it just real quick for everyone to, to check out. Uh, it's in chapter 11. And he says, oh, what verse is it? 33? He says... Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who mm -hmm. has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? So it's just that that mm -hmm. same idea of like the father gives us revelation through the prophets and through his word about what just like he's doing with Baruch. He's like, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you some stuff. You know, he says to him, go fast and then meet me at the place where I'm going to reveal truth to you. You know, and, and this yeah. is what we're going to get through the rest of the book, which is beautiful. But at the same time, as we see Baruch doing through the rest of the book, he's asking questions yeah, because he's still struggling, like with all the detail, like the, the human mind is 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 dumb in some ways, but it's quite, in, you know, investigatory in other ways. Right. You yeah. want to know the details. Right. And yeah. so the father's like, look, I'll tell you the big component pieces, the details. You let me work out all the details, because there's some things that you may not just be able to understand, you know, so it's like. I think it's it's fascinating, and no, I'm not preaching the doctrine of accommodation. <laughs> yeah, yet yeah, we have in inquiring minds, that's for sure, and it can annoy angels at times. That's right, angels who think that we should know this stuff. <laughs> but yeah, the the passage you just read from from Paul's words there. Unfortunately, people twist that too, and they make it seem like none of the word can be understood. You know, don't even bother trying to understand it. If why are you searching out? the law and and the creation model and and you know the new jerusalem the millennium and all these things that it talks about in great detail in the scriptures we yeah. can't know that stuff so it's that's not wrong. what it's talking about yeah. that's <laughs> not what it's talking about yeah yeah, yeah it's yeah, there's so many other things that he, there's I, what i would always say is like the father wouldn't have told us and had the prophets write it down to be passed on to us and preserved if he didn't want us to understand at the very least, the basic premises. Now, I would suggest there's many topics the Father talks about that he gives us great, great detail. But then there's some some of the topics that he mentions that he doesn't give all the great details because it it, it is the title of this show, Ken. It's the Honor of Kings, mm -hmm. right? He 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 wants us to search it out, right? Yes. He conceals the matter within his you know his word to us that is is revealed to us. And there's things that he doesn't explain in great full totality. Like we may get 85% of it, enough to give us faith, enough to believe in it, enough to pass on the message accurately. But some of the minute details, which we see, especially with the hive mind of the internet, right? You see people asking you all kinds of minute details mm -hmm. when you do shows like this. In fact, you know, um, I was talking with my wife because we, I, you know, I started doing the podcast in the past few months and, you know, we we're just, we we're just talking about how, you know, how many, how, why don't we see a lot of other people that do ministry on YouTube? Why don't we see them doing Q and A's, you know? And my wife was like, well, cause they can't, you yeah. know, like there's too many details. They can't, they would just, there's so that you get the internet going with, you get 300 people watching you, you get 75 
questions of points of minutia about the most inf idea of a specific verse. And it's like, you can't explain everything. You know, right. there's just so much. It's overwhelming at times. So I personally think I'm partially insane for even trying to do the podcast, but uh, <laughs> but it's still a fun practice nonetheless. Absolutely. It's, it's good sharpening. And uh, it, you know what? Back when when the father's like, what what did it benefit Adam living as long as he did? You know, I wouldn't mind 900 plus years, to be honest. If I had this word that we have right now, these scriptures in 900 years to try to learn them, that 85% might go up a little bit. You know what I mean? That's right. <laughs> That's right. So I, I want more than just 65 years, whatever I'm, you know, the father's got, got for me, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, this is, this is a fun episode, man. There's some good dialogue taking place between the father and, and Baruch and it's going to continue on next episode. You guys are going to have to join us for, for the ensuing of this dialogue. And, uh, is there anything else you want to touch on? This? Yeah, brother, we had a couple of questions. Would you, you want to take just two or three questions real quick? Yeah, guys, if you have questions, put them in all caps uh, here in the chat. So, uh, we actually had one from earlier. It says, Miss um, Latoya Christie is asking, so is it both the son and them? And I'm guessing this was the point where I was talking about the father and the son descending. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, yes. I know we always talk about Yeshua returning, but people seem to forget that Yahweh promises he's coming too. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, yeah. 105 specifically. Yeah. So I'll pull that up real quick for people to look at. Yeah, Enoch is an amazing, amazing account of, uh, you know, eschatology and, and just history and what's to take place. And uh, I love that book. So, yeah, let me pull it on screen for everyone to, to take a quick look at. And in that book, yeah. it actually talks about how. Oh, sorry. I think we're, we're having a bit of a, a delay here again. I apologize if I just talked over you, Sean. Oh, it's but okay. uh, in the book of Enoch, it also tells us that Yahweh created man for the purpose of understanding his word. That's, That's in the right. book of Enoch. So that is, there's no excuse guys. We have, we have a mind that the father gave us. We have his words and we have the ability to comprehend them. If we just press in and we have the heart to do so. Yeah. So here in Enoch one of five verse two, this is the father uh, Latoya. This is the father expressing through the angels to Enoch that I and my son, will you be united with them forever in the paths of uprightness in their lives? And you shall have peace and rejoice, children of uprightness. Amen. Mm. This is the Father promising he's coming with his son. Uh, this is why the kingdom of heaven has to come down. It's the Father's house. Yeah. And so he has to come with it. We also see this in the canon of 66 and Ezekiel 37 and uh, several other places, actually. It's actually in Revelation 20, 21, verse 22. I'll go there real quick yeah, um, sure. because it's, it's uh, right there. If I could get my computer to work, it's... This is it's why Trinitarianism... And oneness theology and all the other isms have to be dismantled in, in our minds, yeah. guys, because I mean, if there's a father, there's a son, there's two beings. Yeah, we're going to we're going to get to dwell with both of them. This is the, this is the promise of the covenant is that we get to be in the house of our father with our brother and brethren of light. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So right here in Revelation 21, verse 22, I saw in the temple in it for the Lord God, the almighty and the lamb. That's two separate characters are mm -hmm. its temple mm -hmm. same thing with uh, revelation chapter five we see the lamb walk up to the almighty in the temple above you know so yeah. it's it's pretty blatant it's pretty yeah, blatant it's amazing and, and part of this promise this is another video i as you probably have john i have a couple of videos on the go and, and one of them is about how we're going to be able to see the father's face again and that's, that's right that's taken literally 
but yeah. we have to be in a body where we can actually enjoy that and allow that to take place without dying. So we will see our father, brothers and sisters, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one that created us. We're going to see him and we're going to see <laughs> us in a, in a body that we're capable of doing that. Ken, do you want to take this one? Where is H-E double hockey sticks? Hell. Yeah. <laughs> where is hell? Okay, so that depends on, Tamara, good question. That depends on how you're understanding hell. Some think that it's a, a, a literal burning place somewhere that you go to after you die um, or, you know, the alternative is to go to heaven. Or um, my understanding is that hell is, is basically just a misused word in the English translations of the Bible where it should actually be talking about Sheol or Hades in the Greek, Sheol in the Hebrew, which is the compartment within the earth that the Father created on day number one along with all the other heavens and uh, everything else that he created. I have a video on that. Sean, some videos on that. You might do well to watch those. Uh, they're, they're pretty informative, I would think. But uh, basically, hell is below us in the underworld. I just did a video on, on the underworld, actually, too, if you want to take take a look at that. Uh, David, thank you so much, Mr. Shear, for putting all these videos up in the chat. I, I really appreciate that. Um, but yes, yes, hell, or what it should really be is, is Sheol or Hades, is directly below our feet in the land below us, uh, the land of the dead. And that's where we go when we die. Whether you're a believer or unbeliever, that's where we're destined to. And we're going to be allowed to leave that place when Yeshua comes on the day of the Lord. So hopefully that was a good enough answer for you. Yeah, that's good. Uh, the BHSC is asking, do you think baptism is necessary for salvation? I can, I can take this one unless you want to take this one. You go for it, brother. I mean, I would just say that it depends on your understanding what baptism represents and is, but go for it, exactly. man. Yeah, exactly. Because we guys, a lot of people misunderstand that baptism was actually being performed in the Old Testament. And it was just a ritual part of cleansing your body physically on the outside so you could be prepared to go to the temple of Yahweh to offer your sacrifices to the priest. This is what we have before Jesus died. We have John the Baptist baptizing people in the Jordan River because that was a ceremonial requirement for them to actually go to the temple and offer their sacrifices. You needed to be clean. You'd be washed clean. We see the same concept in Exodus 19, where the people are told by God who are at the base of the mountain, all the people needed to cleanse themselves, to wash their garments. And therefore they can then approach in three days after. So this was a concept that baptism was originally in, in Hebrew terminology, they call it the mikvah. It's just originally this, this concept of washing your outward body to get off the filth and the dirt. But, as it's used in the New Testament sometimes, like in the book of 1 Peter, it's talking about washing your conscience and your mind. And therefore, it's you're getting baptized in your heart, which is changing your heart and your behavior, washing your mind, changing that uh, to remove the filth of that, basically, by being renewed with the water of the word. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that is the metaphoric use of the term baptism that you must undergo with repentance, which is your learning discipleship now. So in that regard, yes, you must be metaphorically baptized in your heart and your mind to do discipleship and learn the ways of God and stop doing the ways of destruction and darkness. But think about the thief on the cross as far as, I mean, like, are we, are we talking a works-based salvation where you literally have to bathe yourself before Jesus lets you into the kingdom? No. Some denominations no. do push that. They do. Yeah. They really yeah. do. And some, some try to push it to the point of either full immersion or some sprinkling and they argue about the nonsense. So, yeah. The whole point is Jesus is talking to a guy on the cross who's dirty as can be, bleeding and dying on the cross next to him, and he promises him he's going to be in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have time to get baptized. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it's it's not 
there it, the whole the whole framework is is askew. The whole question is askew. To think that baptism equates to actual eternal life, your moment when you get eternal life. Old Testament baptism was cleaning your body in preparation for being able to come to the temple as clean and bring your sacrifice. New Testament, especially especially after the temple was already destroyed, they use the terminology of baptism in the sense of your regeneration, your conversion and furthering sanctification of discipleship, where you're now baptizing, you're cleansing the filth out of your mind and your heart, and you're adopting the heart and the mind of Jesus, uh, which is the Torah. So this is, this is uh, I'm sorry for the long answer, but some, sometimes the answers themselves are malformed because we've all yeah. been taught bad theology for so many years. Yeah, amen. And it all depends on how you're uh, defining words as well. I mean, even just yeah. the, the whole salvation thing. A lot of people will kind of get tripped up on what salvation is. and But if you actually looked at the scriptures to see what salvation truly is, it may not be, you know, saying a couple words and, and doing an altar call and then you're just, that's it, that you're saved. In my yeah. opinion, salvation is the day of the Lord, the resurrection, when we are saved from the wrath of the Father, given new bodies and, and redeemed from Sheol. So... Right. You got to incorporate that into the into the question, too. So there's a lot of things that, as John said, I mean, we, we can put these questions out, but we got to make sure that we're understanding the words and the terminologies that we're using to form these questions. So, yeah. Ken, this one's right up your alley, brother. What has happened to the Watcher bloodlines? Sean M. is mm -hmm. asking. Sean, um, okay, so there's theories uh, about post-flood Nephilim and how, you know, they came about. Um, you know, was there a second angelic watcher incursion that created the Nephilim giants that we see uh, in the land of Canaan and, and so forth? Um, are they alive today? You know, I'm not sure. I, what I am sure of is that the watcher bloodlines exist in the form of unclean spirits today. And they have since, you know, they were dealt with um, at the flood and just before the flood when they were instructed to kill each other off for 500 years. So in that sense, the, the Watcher bloodlines exist through demons and unclean spirits. Uh, but in terms of, uh, you know, Watchers creating suns on the earth now or, or post-flood, I don't actually believe that that has happened. Um, I think we get giants and, and, you know, the whole genetic manipulation post-flood done by other means other than, than Watcher uh, incursions. How about you, Sean? Do you have anything? Yeah, because you like you were talking about. I mean, we we were told what happened to their bloodline before the flood; they were all destroyed. But yeah. then that the disembodied spirits of those bloodline of that of their kids, they lost their bodies, but their spirits were still their souls were still hanging out. This is who we refer to now as the unclean spirits. So there was a ninety percent of them were put away; a tenth of them were left on the earth to be subject to Satan. So that this is who we deal with now: the you know the unclean spirits, the forces of wickedness in high places, and that. Uh, that Yeshua interacted with everyone in the Gospels that we see, you know, interacting with uh, people in, I would say, I would say heads of state in our current life today. Like these are the unclean spirits that lead astray. Uh, they're malignant and they're still around, but they're not physical embodied creatures that are having children and progeny and having generational bloodlines. So that is a that is something that they want to do. They would love to with ritual magic of different types to create something like that. The enemy wants to do that, I should say. But um, but as far as specifically the children of the Watchers, um, they they were dealt with before the flood. Their bodies are gone. And then a 10% of them are considered the unclean spirits that we deal with today. Yeah. 
So other than that, brother, I think uh, I think we come to the end of the broadcast. Yeah, and the and the actual fathers. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ken. Oh, sorry. Sorry. There's another. I was just going to add that, and the fathers of of the Watcher, uh, you know, uh, progeny, they were judged. They were they were put in chains in Tartarus, and so uh, there there haven't been any other angels that have done that since. So that's right. Yeah, brother, do you have anything else before we go? Or do you nope. see any other questions you want to take on real quick? Um, we got Brother Howard Sanford. This is the, the most recent comment I'm seeing here. Was a fragment or entire document, Apocalypse of Baruch, found in the Dead Sea Scrolls? To my recollection, brother, uh, I think there were fragments found there. Um, but were there complete copies found in the Syriac, Sean? I yeah, they had actually had the Syriac much longer. Like this, some of these things were lost to us until they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. But the actual Apocalypse of Baruch has not been lost to us. Mm -hmm. It's actually been around, and it was mo most popularly translated throughout the years um, to from the original Greek to the Syriac. And some of the most earliest manuscripts that we have are from the Syriac, and that's from the sixth century A.D. In fact, I meant to play this earlier, so I'll just go ahead and play this <laughs> real quick right now. So there it is. Good stuff, good stuff. <laughs> Sean, you're just you're you're great at the multi multitasking here, brother. I know I probably should have prompted you to do our little commercial a while ago, but that's that's all good, man. It's all right, man. Yeah. Hopefully that answers something for you there, uh, brother Howard. We love you, brother. What else we got? I'm not sure if there's any other questions, but uh I had a really fun time. This was a good this was yeah. a good episode, brother. I, I love these these uh chapters that we covered, and I think the following episodes are going to be really fun too so please family if you guys have benefited from our discussions hit the like button i see there's about 59 to 60 people watching right now that's right if you don't mind just hitting that thumbs up that would be great it, it sends the videos off into the algorithms and it helps other people you know get a hold of these discussions so that hopefully they can benefit from them too if you disliked it go ahead and hit that thumbs down it, it doesn't matter my feelings aren't going to be hurt um, and if you guys want to hear, you know, leave some comments afterwards, go ahead and do that. Leave some questions, especially if we didn't address the ones that were in the chat. But other than that, please like, share, subscribe to Hanging on His Words. Also, go over to Sean's channel, Kingdom in Context, and, and show him some love as well. And uh, he's got some other channels as well. The New Jerusalem Media, Kingdom Cast. Um, you know, go over there as well. I mean, the, the brother's putting out some amazing stuff, and I think... We need to get this information out to the masses because, I mean, Yeshua says that the gospel of the kingdom of God needs to reach the four corners of the earth before the end can come. So I think we're in a time and an age where we can probably achieve that. And the only way we can really do that is if we band together as a family and, and take advantage of the technology that, that exists today and, and get this stuff out. So please, if you don't mind doing that, that'd be great. Yep. Awesome. Thanks, brother. I hope to see you back here next week, uh, Ken. We'll go over. We'll just start. We'll start episode four. 
Sounds good to me. Love you guys. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Adam and Eve introduced sin into the world, and their act removed our ability to walk around unrestricted. No need to worry, though. Hanging on his words has got you covered. Literally. Find a link in the video description.